Hello and welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment or ACE podcast brought to you by Silver Adventures. Every fortnight we invite aged care industry experts, thought leaders and passionate individuals to share their knowledge and experience with us as we examine ways to improve the quality of care and the quality of life for seniors. I'm your host Ash Deneef and on today's episode we're talking to Karen Lake. Karen is the Operations Clinical and Quality Manager for Ryman Healthcare, New Zealand's second largest aged care provider who are also in Australia. She oversees the team responsible for standards of care, service and safety within Ryman Villages and has been recently working on a new model of care for people with dementia, which brings the strengths and wishes of the individual to the forefront of care planning. We cover a lot of topics in this conversation, including the difference between quality of care and quality of life, some of the ideas that underpin the new model of dementia care, and some new innovations that are being developed to help give people the edge on aging. Karen is a terrific source of knowledge for all things dementia and aged care, and there's a lot of gems in this conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Here's our conversation with Karen Lake. Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yes. So Karen, you're currently the Operations Clinical and Quality Manager at Ryman Healthcare, one of the largest healthcare providers, aged care providers in New Zealand and Australia. Can you give us a bit of background as to how you got there? Well, I first started working aged residential care at the age of 15 where I worked as a caregiver in my school holidays in a facility called Tarangi Home in Ashburton in the South Island. And that's where I first got it. Um, a taste of working with the elderly and I have been working in aged residential care predominantly since then, so for 30, 30 plus years and uh, I have to say that there is not a job in the care facility that I haven't done. I've worked as a caregiver, I've worked as an activities coordinator, a chef, I've done the housekeeping, I've worked as a um, registered nurse, a clinical manager, facility manager. I've worked as a, a regional clinical and quality manager and now as the operations clinical and quality manager for Ryman Healthcare. And I don't think, it wasn't until I came into that position that I started to really think about the um, how we can influence positive outcomes for our, our residents. And that's when I first started to look at quality care and what that meant for people and what we could do to um, improve outcomes for people all the time. So I've moved into this place where I work uh, with a team on innovations and on generating um, new ideas and implementing new programs that assist people to have um, a good quality of life and quality of care. And a part of that was just identifying the difference between those two things as well. So, yes, um, it's been a heck of a journey. We've got 38 villages throughout New Zealand and Victoria, uh, two operating in Victoria and another five coming online there. Wow. So it, it sounds like, first of all, you have such a wealth of experience across the industry and, and now the position that you're in affords you a really great overview of, of what's going on, not just in New Zealand but also Australia. You said recently you've got quite a few villages here. Um, you touched on this concept of, of quality of life and quality of care um, can you talk maybe about what quality of life is and how that differs from quality of care? You think about quality of care, which is something that we've focused on for a very long time. We think about uh, working with people's physical deficits and uh, care planning to 
um, address their diagnoses and to work with them um, to reduce those deficits. Whereas we think about quality of life, it's a completely different thing for me. Quality of life is what somebody um, defines it to be and what brings value into their lives. And it can be a number of things. And when you think about um, working with somebody to look at your identity and what that means and what identity is made up of, and you talk about working with individuals um, and looking at um, various strengths and characteristics, quality of life for me is about those things that bring joy to a person in um, any given day. And I think some of the work that I've been doing over the last two years working on the new dementia model of care um, has really had, we've really had to drill down and think about what quality of life for each individual means, you know. And it's not about um, addressing, it is about addressing health deficits and reducing some of the things that get in the way of living a meaningful life. But it's also about identifying the things that bring joy to a person's life. And as care providers, we have responsibility to partner with people to bridge the gaps between what they can do to keep doing those things and what they can't do. And an example of that is if I'm an avid photographer and I've always enjoyed walking in the hills, but I had a stroke which left me with a right-sided weakness a few years ago and I could no longer walk in the hills, then somebody partnering with me would enable, um, would take me out into the hills or the bush, we'd have a camera, we'd have the walking frame, we'd have regular breaks, we'd um, be in a position where uh, we'd have to understand that we've moved from film to digital cameras, we um, would have an opportunity to learn how to download um, the images onto a computer and to edit them and so all of those things means that the person can still stay actively engaged in something that they that brings them joy and um, it also enables them to learn something new which is important um, with dementia as well because one of the things that we can do to prevent dementia or to create more neuroplasticity in our minds so that means if we do get dementia that we have other ways of um, other paths to communicate um, through when um, some of the neurons through our regular use paths start to um, deteriorate Um, and so it's one of the things about preventing dementia learning new things yeah so I've been on a two-year journey developing a new model of dementia care and when I first started on that journey, I went over to the UK in Australia and various different places, and I looked at lots of different models of care. I interviewed people living with dementia, and I interviewed people who were caring for people living with dementia. And I visited a lot of places. I spoke with a lot of specialists, and um, I came up with a framework. I couldn't find anything, any model of care that I wanted to put into our villages and I came up with a framework and then I started working with a dementia care specialist in the UK called Caroline Bartle from Three Spirit UK and she and I have been collaborating on this project for quite some time and we wanted something that would align with the international desire to 
bring dementia out of the closet, destigmatize dementia and create dementia-friendly communities. But we also wanted something that would enable people living with dementia to have control in their lives, to have um, happiness in the moment and to live the lives that they chose to live. And it's not often um, what happens in dementia care, you know. A lot of the time what we do is we we care for people with dementia care. We move too fast for them. Um, we don't enable them to uh, utilise the skills that they have. We generally, what we do is we have this idea, a lot of people have this idea that anybody living with dementia, no matter what type of dementia they have, has the same signs and symptoms, and that's not true. What's actually true is various dementias will affect a person's brain in different ways, and also their level of resilience over life um, impacts on their ability uh, on the way that they experience it, the dementia they're living with. And so people are intrinsically individualistic and their experiences are quite different. And the other thing we need to understand is that dementia is progressive. So a person's um, losses throughout the journey occur throughout the journey. So initially, people may um, can actually live quite well with dementia as long as they've got some tools into place to help them, like some memory aids and those sorts of things, uh, supportive people around them. Uh, and then over time, you may need to do more and more to bridge the gap. And I think as care providers, we often do things for people instead of being with people. And the way forward to dementia care really is to partner with individuals and support them to live their lives. And I've walked into a lot of villages where I see people corralled into small spaces to be entertained by people. And um, that results in a lot of agitation. And the reason for that is people living with dementia experience far more stress than people who aren't living with dementia. Noises can upset people. Um, It's really confusing. And people don't need to be sat down and entertained all day. People need to be supported to live a life that they choose to live. And I think one of the best things I've seen come out of New Zealand in the last couple of years was Alzheimer's New Zealand commissioned litmus to do research on 49 people living with dementia to identify what they really wanted. Because often in the past, we haven't asked the people what they want. So if that's part of the stigmatisation and the assumptions that people with dementia can't, cannot contribute in this way in which they can. I know people and I've spoken to people that I've interviewed that they they don't speak out because of the stigma out there and yet we really need to hear the voice of the people. Anyway, the outcome of the litmus um, research was the dementia declaration, Our Lives Matter, which is now widely used throughout New Zealand as a guide to understand what people living with dementia really want. So we're really hearing more and more from people living with dementia. People don't need to be defined by dementia. You know, they're individuals in their own right and um, have a lot to contribute to society. It sounds like the individual is really at the centre of the care process. So we need to understand 
firstly the individual's experience in living with dementia and then what they define as quality of life and what things they value. And through understanding that, that's how we can provide better care. Would you agree with that? Yes. So interviewing residents living with dementia, we would speak well for 15, 20 minutes or more. And from that, I generated what we call the 10 elements of happiness that are woven into the program into our model care. They were kindness, love, connectivity, safety and security, peace, joy and laughter, identity, well-being, independence and self-worth. They were the things that came out of my interviews with people living with dementia. And from there, what we did was we wove, we created a new qualification that's about to be recognised on the NZQA framework in New Zealand, a formal qualification for our staff. And we created e-learning tools and we started to work with our staff on actions that they could take to help generate those feelings in people to bring out joy. Because for a person living with dementia, they may not remember what happened 15 or 20 minutes ago, but they remember good feelings. And um, I would say that a lot of the time we need to work with people to bridge the gaps. You need to be really sensitive about how you bridge those gaps. So you're working in partnership with a person in order to be with them rather than do for them because because people living with dementia take a little bit longer to process information. Uh, Staff who have a lot to do can often rush people and disempower them and so um, prevent them from having that ability to do the things that they can do and enjoy. Um, so it's just bridging the gaps and I talked about the lady who likes to do photography and how we can get out and about with her and do that but it's also it's also things about generating joy in a person's life. Now have you heard of the reminiscence bump? No I haven't. Okay so the reminiscence bump is a period from 10 to 25 some people say 30 where we lay down autobiographical memories so they're encoded in our mind and we retain those. And some people living with dementia, although they don't retain recent events, they will retain memories from their reminiscence bump. And we have an opportunity in there to do a few things that will bring joy into a person's life. And one of the things is we know um, that music, if we can um, have music from their person's reminiscence bump, it can generate a lot of joy for one thing, but the other thing it can do is it generates memories, like well-formed memories. So one of the things that I found out when I was interviewing family was they would say things to me like, I'm always the person that has to initiate conversation. Mum or dad doesn't um, initiate conversation anymore. It's very hard to ask a person about recent events because they just don't recall recent events but it is very easy to ask them about a period of time which they remember really really well so then we started to think about creating an app where a reminiscence bump app where we could download photos and memories and create playlists for the person from that period of time and that we could create an experience where family could have conversations with their loved ones where their loved one would speak fluently about an event and about memories. And there's a lot of joy in that. And we can generate those things in today. And an example um, 
of that is if somebody loved to travel, we can set up, um, we can look at the photographs of the travel that they did in that time. Or we can do the thing that, you know, Silver Adventures does. We can set up an opportunity for people to travel virtually to different places and have that experience. And at the same time, we can work together to cook the food from that culture and we can have other people that are interested and it generates conversation between people. And you think that um, people have this idea that people living with dementia cannot converse um, over a long period of time about things. But they can. I have seen these things. I've been to events where people have talked for half an hour or more on these really strong memories and that we can actually help foster those memories or um, bring those memories back to life in various ways. And I think that we have a responsibility to understand individuals and to do these sorts of things with them because as we age and we have less ability to get out and do the things we want love doing, we start to experience what I think of as a shrinking world. But in this age of IT and technology, we can really work to, to actually negate that concept of a shrinking world. Mm. People living dementia experience more stress um, than people without dementia. And so they have more cortisol in their bodies. And so we need to be doing things that enable them to have a release of the feel-good hormones. So I started doing a little bit of an experiment. I thought to myself, okay, I know this thing about the reminiscence bump and I know that um, music between the age of 10 and 25 for me is going to be great for me when I get dementia because after studying it for two years, I'm, I'm fairly certain that I'm on my way. And so I created my own playlist and my own identity map, because we have identity maps for people, um, to actually just ascertain what makes them tick. And those things are things that make me tick, are characteristics that are seen or unseen in me. Um, so my values, my social norms, the way I was raised, the routines that I have, you know. Mm. Can you explain the difference between entertaining people and providing meaningful activities for them? So... In the old days, what we did with um, dementia care is that the caregivers would run around, get everybody up, bring them into the living room, and then the activities coordinator would take over. And they would entertain people. They'd have quizzes, they'd have mm-hmm. sing-alongs, they'd have game shows, they'd have um, those sorts of activities. And people could either passively or actively be engaged. Mm. And then what you would do is you'd have people spinning out of that room because Um, there's too much audio and visual stimulus. Um, You'd have what people term as behaviour issues. Mm -hmm. I don't like to use the word challenging behaviour. For me, it is distressed behaviour. People becoming distressed because it was too much stimulus, they'd spin out of the room and off they'd go down the hallway, which had no stimulus, and then they'd circuit back around and come into the high-stimulus environment again. And then staff would corral people back into that area. That, to me, is entertaining people. Um, and it, it goes against what I believe, um, which is partnering people to live the life that they choose to live. Mm. So we're not here to keep people in a holding pattern. We're here to work with people and recognise their rights, recognise who they are and work with them to live the best life that they can live. Mm -hmm. 
and then meaningful activities for me is about the partnership. That's about Grace has always been an avid gardener. So actually Grace and I are going to go and do some gardening today. Also that everybody has a job to do. So um, giving to the community that we live in. So if Grace has always been an avid gardener, then we're actually going to go out and weed the garden today. And we're also going to bring the herbs in for soup. Mm-hmm. likes has always loved cooking. She's cooking the soup for today and we're going to be eating that. So it's about activities of life, engaging in activities of life, those sorts of things. So that's the difference, living life or being a passive bystander. Absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. Um, I think it, it really, there's such a, a strong common thread here of respect for the individual um, and with those people who, who are living with dementia, recognising that they are they are people who are living and they also have a condition and finding ways to make their lives purposeful and engaging and really connecting with them with the things that matter to them most instead of just finding what's easiest or quickest or most economical. Do you think that's a new approach to, to aged care or is that something that's been going on for a while? I think that some models of care get it right. And when I started to look at various models of care, there were other, two other models of care which I which I really liked. And I walked into a retirement village in London. And when I walked in the door, I saw residents who welcomed me into their home. They engaged with me. I walked around and I saw little nooks and crannies where people could linger for a while and be engaged in the things that they wanted to be engaged in. I saw residents... um, you know, making their own cups of tea, and you really have to think about risk versus, you know, quality of life, you know. Mm. There's a lot of places who want to put the kettle away, you know. I actually, our new model here has working kitchens. Our residents work in the kitchens as well as the staff, you know. So this particular model here I was actually truly impressed with because there was, it was a very peaceful environment and, I saw people just living their lives freely, you know. Hmm. I I liked it, but I wanted a little bit more for our people, you know. So I when I started to think about the framework for the foot model care that we've got, I started to think about the impact on environment on people uh, living with dementia and that we needed really easy to navigate environments. And I started to think about uh, behaviour. Behaviour is a form of communication, which is, Actually, natural is a person's brain um, starts to deteriorate. People will find other ways to relay the information that they want to relay. And it's up to us to be able to interpret what it is that's being said, to take time to listen and to understand a person and all the various ways that they communicate. There's a, a lovely point there I wanted to touch on, which was you said that it's important for caregivers to interpret behaviour not as troublesome or challenging but rather as an attempt to communicate and it is a means of communication do you think that it's important that the people who are providing care have a knowledge and an awareness of the people they're caring for i can imagine that would be something challenging in the in aged care facilities to get staff who are regularly there to to connect with people what do you think oh absolutely yeah i think it's very important that people who are working with um, people living with dementia actually have a really good understanding um, of a number of things, what dementia is in itself, mm. the different types of dementia and how they affect people. 
an individual, their identity, um, their level of resilience, and their um, where they are on their journey with dementia as well. And so that they're able to not just understand dementia, but understand individuals. One of the things that we have um, is a qualification, and it's, a manda- it's mandatory to have all caregivers working in a dementia care complete a qualification within a specific time frame. And we decided that we were going to create this qualification and have the uh, staff complete it immediately after orientation in the unit, so they had a really good understanding of it. But we also developed a need and qualification that all staff, so 6,000 staff, have to complete this e-learning qualification. And we launched the first of those qualifications, those modules, there's four quadrants, on last Friday to 6,000 staff members and already over 1,400 have completed that that qualification um, or that e-learning module. And from that, people will have a really good understanding of what dementia is the different types of dementia and how those different types of dementias affect people in different ways. And they will also have a good understanding of the nine ways in which we can prevent dementia. This qualification isn't just for staff, it's also for residents and their families. And so by the Mm -hmm. time they get through the next one, which is called Making Sense of My World, which is uh, the quadrant is about understanding an individual and working with them so that to support them or partnering with them to live the life that they choose to live and to live that life well and to do that in a way that generates moments of happiness for them. And then the next quadrant is uh, distressing the environment, which is about understanding why behaviour is a form of communication, how to work with people who are expressing behaviour in its various forms but also how we can use environment to reduce stress for people living with dementia. And then the last quadrant is quality of life, which is about um, generating quality or supporting people to have quality of life. That's one of the things that I want to elaborate on. People living with dementia have higher stress levels than those without. That means they have high cortisol levels, and what we want to do is generate the release of feel-good hormones to counteract this. I did a bit of research on this and then decided to experiment on myself, um, looking at ways of reducing cortisol and increasing those feel-good hormones. So the first thing that I did was I created a playlist of my favourite music from my early 20s. Then I decided that I was going to play this while walking for up a hill briskly, um, as I know that exercise releases dopamine. I also know that I've had my face in the sun for 20 minutes the sunshine will hit my retina and I will have a release of serotonin. I always feel I have to say at this point, please don't look directly at the sun. Don't need to do that. Just need to get sun on your face. So a brisk walk in the sunshine, listening to my Reminiscence Bump favourite music playlist will reduce cortisol levels in my body, increase feel-good hormones and cause me to experience one of those random moments of happiness. And the first time that I did this, went off on my usual walk up the hill and I arrived home 10 minutes earlier than usual, at which point my husband accused me of not completing the full route. Um, (laughs) But I was just feeling great, invigorated and happy. And this is just an example of one of the things that's factored into 
the program that we've developed um, that supports people to have feelings of happiness and well-being. If you think about dementia, okay, so by the age 65, your chances of developing dementia double every five years. Wow. Yeah. And so what we want to do as we age is we want to actively put things into place that prevent dementia Mm. or help us to live well with dementia if we develop dementia, Mm. right? And so there are nine ways that we can, um, things that we can do to prevent dementia. Mm -hmm. And uh, within those nine ways, there's also um, one way which I think, which I'm really attracted to, and that's a thing called um, using your brain neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that? Developing neuroplasticity. Right, so I have a friend who just um, does Sudoku every day because he's wanting to prevent dementia, and I say to him, Actually, Cal, if you can't just do Sudoku every day, you've got to do something that challenges your brain. You've got to grow new, new neurons. So yeah. you've got to, you know, learn to play a musical instrument or you've got to learn a new language and those sorts of things. So it's not just about doing something with your brain every day. It's about doing something that challenges your brain. And so that creates neuroplasticity so that if you do get dementia, that you're able to have other ways of relaying. You've got more neuropathways. And um, have other ways of relaying information that you'd like to relay. Anyway, we are jumping around yeah. a bit, aren't we, Ash? Yeah, it's great. I, I wanted to, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on these nine ways that you can reduce the risk of dementia? Yes. Um, so you can prevent dementia. You can particularly prevent vascular dementia. The reason for that is because um, you want to look after your, your vessels, right? So you want to keep your blood pressure down. You want to stay physically active. Um, You want to um, keep your weight down, eat well, keep your weight down, following a healthy diet, limit alcohol, and you want to maintain social connections. So um, loneliness is a dreadful thing for people, Um, for all people really, but not just um, people living with dementia. One of the things for people living with dementia is that um, there's a certain level of awareness uh, people as they are developing dementia and they become concerned about you know social interactions and they start to isolate or or be ostracized from the society that they're in and so that actually just compounds the feelings of loneliness so you would stay um, socially connected the best outcome I've seen was with a couple where they decided that they would tell all of their friends that the gentleman had dementia and what that meant was they got an enormous amount of support. Both of them got an enormous amount of support. And also the people um, around them had far more compassion. So they, what they didn't do is they didn't judge the gentleman when he started to do things like work against social norms, do things like queue jump, you know, because people What's think queue jumping? jumping, people think queue jumping's rude, but in actual fact, you know. Um, you, mean, you mean jumping in front of a line? Yeah, yeah. Jumping in front of the line. Um, So in each fact, they didn't, you know, slight him if he jumped in front of the line. Um, If he repeated his stories, they didn't didn't get impatient with him. I have a friend who I worked with for many, many years, and we used to work together in the hospital together, and um, Grant developed, it's not his real name, Grant developed dementia later in life. I was a nurse and he was a senior orderly at the time in 
at the hospital and he's now in his 80s and he's got quite advanced dementia. Every time he sees me, we he does still recognise me though mm. and we talk about the hospital and he tells me of the story about when he was at the hospital and he was the senior orderly and one of the nurses was talking to him in his office and one of his orderlies came walking across the compound and quick as a flash, the nurse jumped behind the door and came out straightening her skirt yeah. <laughs> when the orderly walked in. And he was absolutely mortified that she'd done this, you know, played this joke on him. And the orderly who walked in was very awkward and shuffled around and left. And it was a great story. It had given him a lot of joy, you know, and had some laughter at the time, you know, it was a bit of fun. And he continues to tell me that story every time I see him. Mm-hmm. And every time he tells me the story, I listen as though it's the first time I've heard it. And I laugh because it is a great story. And people often don't listen to repeated stories from people who are living with dementia. And I really encourage people to take time to do that because it does a couple of things. One is it really validates them as a person. And also that human connection is really, really important and feelings matter. Mm. So anyway, let's move on. Maintaining regular health checks because in actual fact, um, hearing loss is um, one of the risks of dementia. So you need to take care of your hearing because, you know, as you lose your hearing, you become less engaged with other people and more isolated from the world around you and you need to take care of your hearing. You need to challenge your brain and build neuroplasticity and not mm. smoke because smoking has such a dreadful um, impact on your arteries and really significantly increases your risk of vascular dementia. So there are the ways that you can, yeah, yeah, so you can actually make a difference to your own life. Um, if you get out there and exercise, eat well, don't drink too much and don't smoke and stay socially connected and get your hearing checked. Yeah. I really want to I want to jump back to what you were saying about the gentleman you used to work with and um, because you, you mentioned that, as you said, not everybody is going to listen to the same stories repeatedly, but it it's kind of an act of love, right, to sit there and, and to listen to someone, to show that you're there and it's not about the person who's receiving the story, it's about the person telling the story, right? Yes, it is. It is about the person who's telling the story and I think the more uh, we move towards a... Um, dementia-friendly country or even a dementia-friendly world because there's a real drive now to address stigmatisation in dementia, to um, address the beliefs that people have about people living with dementia, to enable people with dementia to have their voice and also to accept um, the things that people have no control over. So if a person's unable to lay down um, memories of recent events, um, if they have difficulty expressing themselves well or finding the right words or completing familiar tasks or they're confused by time and place, there's a lot that we can do to engage with people living with dementia and that um, supports us to bridge the gaps with those deficits that are appearing. Um, and I think that we have a responsibility to do that. We're almost out of time today, Karen. I've just got one more question. What does leadership within the industry look like to you? Within the aged care industry? Yeah, so within aged care. 
I really think that we need to be moving into a place where we support people to um, reverse deficits and we need to be creating programs that give people an edge on ageing. So we need to create sort of programs that help prevent dementia, that enhance the five ways of well-being in, in people's lives, um, help people stay really connected, and that we need to be thinking really smartly about the fact that we can improve ageing. Mm. And that um, people actually, they we used to think people moved into retirement homes and that was their last part of their journey, but it's not. It's a new phase of living. You know, people live rich exciting lives um, in their retirement and yeah they want to make the most of it so I think we've got a responsibility to support people to to really live well. Wow that's that's fantastic Karen that's that's a fantastic end to our conversation thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks Ash. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website at www.silveradventures.com.au. That's S-I-L-V-R Adventures. And of course, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss out on the next one. My name's Ashton Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.